Attention anyone with access to an airplane. We are going to be in North America for our North American 2017 Stuff You Should Know live tour. And we're kicking it off in Toronto, August 8th, and Chicago, August 9th. Then we're going to take a little break and hit Vancouver on September 26th and Minneapolis on September 27th. Yep. Then we're doing Austin, October 10th, and Lawrence, Kansas, October 11th. And then finally, we're going to finish up October at the three-night stand at the Bell House, October Mm -hmm. 22nd, 23rd, 24th, before we wrap it up at home in Atlanta for a special benefit charity show on November 4th at the Buckhead Theater. Yep, you can get all the info you need and buy tickets at our other live show, Home on the Web, SYSKlive.com. Go check it out, and we'll see you guys starting in August. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Klozark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry. Jerome Rollins over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know. The Beagle Brigade edition. (laughs) Yes, another... I guess we covered... uh, Drug sniffers? Yeah. But not, or did we do Seeing Eye Dogs as well? We did. Uh, remember, because Seeing Eye Dogs is actually a brand name. It's one of those. Uh, oh, like a Band-Aid? Yeah, or Kleenex or something. <laughs> that uh, one was, that was a great one. Yeah. So, I mean, th- is this the last job that dogs have? <laughs> we we didn't cover dogs that serve as pack animals yet. So, <laughs> Oh, that's right. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, herders. Yeah. That'd be good. Or lumberjack dogs. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. right. Or uh, dogs uh, that are uh, sous chefs. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> we've got a big, big, long suite coming. I thought it was done. Sorry. No. No. But this one might be the most adorable of all of them. Yeah. And this one was, uh, I was always confused. I always thought the beagles at the airport, because as you will learn, uh, Atlanta is, uh, they're, they're trained here outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the, the beagles were, I just thought they were drug sniffers. Or bomb oh, really? sniffers Did you? or everything sniffers. Oh, I see. No. You could have a big old suitcase full of cocaine and walk right past that dog and be like, jump. <laughs> well, that's but good it, to know, you know. Sure, for the next time you're smuggling cocaine right. in a suitcase. Yeah, exactly. once, you, once you make it past a beagle, you're home free. But don't have a head of lettuce. <laughs> no, because... Those beagles will pounce on your neck and chew your throat out. Or don't That's have what they're a, trained to do. Don't have a whole hog. Can you believe that story? Totally. So this one was, uh, I think it was in Atlanta at Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. Yeah. And there was a woman traveling from Peru to the United States with a, a, a roasted pig, an entire roasted pig mm-hmm. in her bag. And, I mean, it was very... Sweet, you know, she was just trying to bring home a holiday meal for her family. Yeah, it was Thanksgiving, I think, right? Yeah, so she <laughs> smuggled in a roasted pig. Yeah. And it wasn't a little, little you know, it was big. Well, yeah, pigs tend to be. I mean, it didn't say a suckling pig. It, a pig, I assumed it was a big old pig. No, well, it was a picture of it. Oh, yeah, that's right. But uh, It the, was, it was a good-sized pig. Yeah, the guy, Rob Brizzly. A uh, public affairs officer said the right steps had to be taken to confiscate and destroy the item 
And then the sentence stopped. But I imagine he said, with our mouths. <laughs> right. With, with extreme vengeance. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, that's just one example. Yeah, we should we should probably say exactly what we're talking about for those people who haven't been to an international airport in the United States. But there is a group of working dogs that are exclusively beagles, hence the name the Beagle Brigade, from what I understand. Although I did see reference that they do use labs sometimes, but I'm pretty sure it's almost exclusively beagles, yeah. if not exclusively beagles. And these dogs have a job. They're actually federal agents with the... Uh, USDA, yeah, the Department of Agriculture, not the FDA, no, uh, or not the DEA either. But no. they're federal, they're federal agents, and they are their whole job is to sniff out agricultural products. Um, and the whole point of all of this is that the U.S. Um, has a pretty extensive agriculture infrastructure, right? Yeah, and if something comes through. Say that's a um, uh, a pest, right? Like a a bug sure. that eats. Um, what do we grow here? Cotton, a cotton <laughs> weevil. Yeah, but, but from another country, right? Uh-huh. So a non-native pest or a non-native plant or a diseased bat. Okay, th- th- it could wreak havoc, not just on our agriculture system, but if if the wrong kind of thing comes through, like there's there's procedures in place for. For food to come in the United States, you're not supposed to carry uh, it in your luggage because no. it has to be inspected. It has to come from a trusted source. We have to know that it doesn't have something like hoof and mouth disease or Ebola or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it says in here in our own article that it's a one trillion dollar industry, our own agricultural uh, agricultural product industry, right? And that's import, export, eating it, producing it. Um, and invasive species can be a hundred, uh, it says about $136 billion in agricultural lost revenue. Um, is that annually? I believe so. Man. So, I mean, that's, that's a, a lot of economy at stake here. So they take it very seriously. Right. So there's this group. Um, so the USDA, the Department of Agriculture here in the U.S., um, is, has a subgroup called APHIS, which is the, um, Animal plant, animal and plant health inspection service. And they're the ones who are tasked with basically creating this virtual border, this virtual barrier, um, to stuff coming in the U.S. to protect agriculture in the U.S., right? Yeah. Like the, the notorious Romanian cotton weevil. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the most insidious of all. And specifically at international airports, Working in conjunction with the Customs uh, Bureau, uh-huh. CPB, Customs and, no, CBP, right? Customs and Border Patrol. Yeah. You've got these cute, adorable little beagles who are trained to sniff this stuff out from people who are trying to smuggle whole pigs into the into the country when they're not supposed to. God bless that lady. I felt bad <laughs> for her. You know? Yeah. I mean, I get it. Sure. But, you know, the, I mean, the I, time there's no the way. Money, there's no way she did not cry oh, when, sure. when the agriculture inspector took her whole pig. I know. She's going to feed to her family. What a waste of food. She worked so hard on that, Chuck. I know. <laughs> it might have been like her favorite family pig that she was waiting. Right, it was Babe. <laughs> babe gave 
his life. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about uh, these uh, the history here? Because it did not um, agricultural agriculture dogs mm-hmm. or agricultural detection did not start in the U.S. It actually started in Mexico. Yeah. Uh, I guess was probably the early 70s. I did. I could not find when it started, but yeah, we know it's definitely prior to the seventies because based on this, I guess it was a USDA training manual that was referencing it. It picks up then in the late seventies that the USDA started this. Yeah. And then up until 1983, we used, um, we use big dogs, you know, like typically, and I think we covered this in a lot of the other, uh, like drug sniffers, like German shepherds and, mm-hmm. um, labs are certainly good. But they are, uh, labs aren't so intimidating, but German Shepherds can be, even though I love them. I grew up with them. Sure. Um, a lot of people, the sight of a German Shepherd coming at them in an airport is, is a little scary. Yeah. I mean, and some people have sinophobia, which is a fear of dogs specifically, and in which case even the smallest dog's going to scare you. But even people who don't have an actual phobia of dogs are going to be scared of certain breeds. And sure. that definitely includes German Shepherds for sure. So it started in Mexico, and then uh, finally in 1984, uh, the USDA uh, USDA started at LAX, um, started which is probably a pretty good airport to pick for a, for a pilot program. Yeah, not a, a airplane pilot program, although I'm sure they had those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about the King of the Netherlands? Uh. Uh-uh. They found out that he has been secretly undercover moonlighting as a KLM airline pilot for fun for like the last, like once a week, um, for like the last 20 something years. And has been flying? Yeah. He's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like he's been undercover flying, uh, not as the king of the Netherlands, just trying to have a life of his own. I thought you meant like, uh, Leo DiCaprio did in Catch Me If You Can. He just pretended to be a pilot. Oh no. To get babes <laughs> <Right>. and fake <laughs> checks. You're a king. You can't be a pilot. <laughs> wow. So was yeah. he, was, did he come clean or was he outed? I guess he was outed and he said from time to time somebody would recognize him, but he'd just have them, um, kidnapped. Yeah. Kidnapped and killed. <laughs> Rendered. Good to be Extraordinarily. The wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, good for him. Yeah. They should just let him fly, you know? I think. I think so. They're going to work it out? Probably. I hope so. If not, that guy's one outlet has been taken away from him. Well, so his pilot program is maybe failing, but the pilot program in 1984 <laughs> uh-huh. at LAX uh, worked great. And they. Um, this was a big deal at the time, too. It was a big uh, change from any kind of detection programs that they had at the time. I don't know uh, why it took that long, but... Because dogs are, you know, obviously well-known sniffers mm-hmm. uh, to the tune of, I mean, compared to humans, what? It, how many millions of olfactory nerves do dogs have? I know it varies. So uh, somewhere, I, somewhere in the middle is the dachshund. I didn't see the beagle specifically, but supposedly beagles are about average as far as scenting goes, which is surprising to me. But the dachshund has 125 million olfactory receptors. Amazing. And humans have five million on average. And I know the dogs, even their the size of their nose can make a difference. So mm-hmm. uh, I was a little surprised they picked beagles, but one of the big reasons is a the Navy had used them previously, right, uh, to great success. And b, like you said, you know they're they're little, they're cute, mm-hmm. so they're not going to scare anyone at the airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can they're agile, they're because they're small. 
and they can jump around on a conveyor belt like nobody's business. Yeah. To find that Romanian cotton weevil. Right. Sometimes they'll find just enough fruit that they'll make a little headdress out of it, like Carmen Miranda. <laughs> yeah. Nothing cuter than seeing a beagle in one of those. Um, well, the other cool thing about the dogs and their, their sniffing abilities is, uh, it's like, you, you can't disguise something. Like if you, if you have, of course, uh, I was about to say drugs again, but if you have, let's say you want to sneak in that cotton weevil. Okay. And you think, I'm going to hide it in a can of coffee. Actually, that might be, you might not be able to bring in coffee either now that I think about it. I was just trying to think of something with a strong odor. Um, a bottle of perfume. Okay. The dog will be able to, to pick that out of that perfume. Right. We'll be able to almost geolocate it, uh, because they, they don't, they don't get confused like we do. Yeah. So you know how like a, a dog can, when you, when you watch a dog on a scent, it's just kind of like sniffing back and forth in the air as it moves. Oh yeah. So what it's doing is it's, it's basically the same thing with our vision, right? The information is getting from one nostril and the other nostril. Mm-hmm. It's brain is putting together to create basically like a 3D map of where that smell is coming from. Just like the, the information from one eye compared to the information coming into our other eye gives us a, an idea of like depth, right? Or perspective, that kind of right. thing. So it's basically the same thing, but with their olfactory sense. Um, and, put on top of that is the fact that they can distinguish scents. Like this article, this USDA manual said, when you walk into a kitchen and you smell chili, Mm -hmm. you smell chili, right? Chili's cooking, put it all together, it's chili. That's what you smell is the the sum of all the parts. Yeah, or, you know, if you're good, you might be able to pick out a thing or two. Maybe, like, you know. Like cumin. Do I detect, yeah, some cumin? (laughs) But, um... A dog will walk in there and smell every single one of the ingredients separately. Right. Which is why you can't just take something and try to overpower the smell of it with something else. The dog will smell the thing that you're using to try to overpower it with, but it'll also smell the the other scent. Apparently, they can smell, this thing says, they can smell table salt in a dilution of one part to 10 million parts. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's also why if you've ever taken your dog to a new, um, like a new, really new environment that they've never been to, like the beach, for instance. When I took, mm-hmm. uh, I think a couple of years ago, we did a beach vacation and took our dogs and, uh, they were going crazy. Yeah. Like we walked them down the to the beach and it was just nose in the air because, you know, there's always a good breeze or usually a good breeze on the beach. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine they were just, they were smelling these just hundreds and hundreds of things that they'd never smelled before. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty neat to see. And you kind of wonder what's going on in that lunk head of theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or in I've, my I've, case, one lunk head and one smart one. I've seen before um, that if, when a dog is sniffing at a tree, what you're watching them do is sniff, you know, the tree itself, but also every single insect in that tree, every bird in that tree, everything yeah. that's in that tree right then, that dog is smelling that. Yeah, and, and and I think it definitely varies because uh, obviously some dogs are better, like hunting dogs and such. And the, sure. my new dog, uh, Nico, we think maybe part uh, plot hound. What's and, that? Uh, just like a you know a hound. Okay. I mean, you can look up plot hound and 
Uh, looks like my dog. <laughs> okay, all right. But like a mix of a plot hound. But I think that they're like really good um, scent dogs too, because she, more so than other dogs I've had, is really driven by her nose. And when you let her out, she's got her nose to the ground like for quite a while. I, I was reading uh, today about scent tracking, and apparently it's something like some people like to do agility stuff with their dog, or other people do like obedience, like competitions and stuff Mm -hmm. and then other people and apparently this also is a really good thing to do if you found your your dog is like no good at obedience right they might actually love scent tracking because unlike the obedience stuff or the agility stuff when you're when you're scent tracking the dog is totally in charge yeah you're basically following the dog but you're doing it together especially during training as well well you know they'd say if your dog has behavioral problems and a lot of times that means they have a job that they're not being, they're not allowed to do. Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know, like, yeah. uh, if you have a herding dog that doesn't have a herd, then that might be a big pain in your butt until mm-hmm. you can find a way to kind of let them, uh, I don't know if they can not necessarily work part time as a herder, but do something <laughs> that acts as a herder, you know? Might as well make some money off of it. Uh, you want to take a little break? Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a break and get back to the Beagles right after this. Stuff you should know. All right, Chuck, so we're back. So we were talking basically about dogs in general, but since 1984, the USDA has been training Beagles for its Beagle Brigade, right? Which is this front line covering America's agricultural infrastructure. That is correct. So um, I was very heartened to learn from researching this that the Beagle Brigade specifically with the USDA, all of them come from shelters. They're all shelter animals. Yeah. And you know what? It kind of makes sense. At first, I just thought it was out of the kindness of their heart that they wouldn't like support the dog buying industry but uh they they a lot of times just get problem dogs these beagles that are so like you know up in the business in your pantry or your refrigerator or mm-hmm. sniffing out your shoes so they can chew them up people will you know uh well I have opinions on this but people will turn that dog back in or whatever to be uh adopted hopefully at a, from a no kill shelter right at the so- very least so then that's a, that's a big point that this, um, USDA spokesperson makes in the House of Works article is like a lot of people are saying, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this. You guys are using these dogs as tools, basically. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I don't think dogs should be used that way. And the, the USDA's response is, well, a lot of these dogs would, would basically be put down if it weren't for us. You know, they would yeah. be euthanized. Because they can't, they're too hyper to, to live with a family, but that's exactly the kind of temperament we need for what we're having them do. So actually it's win-win for everybody. Well, yeah. And, and as much as I love my dogs laying around in bed with me, um, a happy dog, it's a dog that's working and exercising. Um, and then at the end of the night, they get to relax, but you know, it's easy to, and we we covered some of this in uh in seeing eye dogs and stuff. It's easy to be like, oh man, that dog doesn't get to have fun all day. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true at all. These dogs have a purpose and they uh they're good at what they do. So don't don't think of it as like using this dog as a tool um in a bad way, you know? Right. 
And then on the other end of it, if the dog is brought into the program and they find out that the dog doesn't have what it takes, um, maybe it doesn't work very well amidst chaos that sure. like an airport always has, or, um, perhaps the, the, um, the dog just seems unhappy. They say if the dog seems unhappy, they'll retire it early. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, they have a, apparently a 100% record of adopting out their beagles. And there's a wait list right now. Oh, I'm sure. Um, to adopt these beagles that have, have worked for, you know, several years or, or didn't work, didn't make it, but, you know, entered into the program. They don't return them to shelters. They don't euthanize them. They adopt them out. And apparently the USDA has a 100% adoption record on that, which is pretty, Outstanding. Yeah. And as with a lot of service dogs, um, their first, uh, their handler is given first right of refusal for adoption. Right. Um, and Which I imagine makes, a lot of times they, they do so, you know? Yeah. I would guess so too. Because apparently when the dog and the, the handler are paired up together as a team, um, they, they stay a team for the, the dog's whole career. It's like, like Riggs and Murtaugh. Right, or Turner and Hooch. <laughs> Actually, it's not like Ricks and Murtaugh, because they were paired at the very end of Danny Glover's career. So that was a bad analogy. Oh, that's right. That's true. Because he's too old for that crap. <laughs> he is. <laughs> that was a big line. Yeah, it was a great line. Isn't that a TV show now? Uh, I don't think it is anymore. Oh, Jerry's nodding, but that probably means you're both right. <laughs> Short-lived. I think so. I, I haven't seen any ads for it lately. What a dumb idea. Like, hey, let's dust this thing off from Man, 25 with, years ago. They do that with everything. Like Twin Peaks even. It's like, how? How? come on, how are you going to pick that back up? Let's just Well, stop. I don't mind that because that's just more greatness from David Lynch. Is it any good? I've heard not necessarily. I think it's great. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm a fan of anything David Lynch does. It doesn't. Sure. It, I didn't expect it to be. Exactly what Twin Peaks was. It just feels like a new TV show from David Lynch to me. Oh, gotcha. Really? Okay. You know? Yeah, well, I could be down with that. Um, all right. So let's get into this. Uh, you, you mentioned handlers. <laughs> We've been dancing around this the whole time. Uh, you mentioned handlers and, uh, this, like we said earlier, this takes place at a place called the National Detector Dog Training Center, the NDDTC, right here in lovely Noonan, Georgia, hmm. which, uh, uh, is that West? I think it's Southwest. Southwest? Like just down 85 after it splits off as 7585. My knowledge of my own home state is pretty poor. If I haven't camped there and it's outside of Atlanta, I probably don't know exactly where it is. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Okay. Southwest then. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, and they start training like with most service dogs. They, they do that initial testing to just sort of see, are they healthy? Do they have the right temperament? How's their behavior? Mm-hmm. And that initial screening is where the first lot uh, gets weeded out. And one of the biggest parts of that initial weeding out is uh, they have to have a high food drive. And that's not that doesn't mean how hungry are they? That means your dog has just been fed. This little beagle has just eaten. Right. But they still have a high desire to get <laughs> to where the food is. It's like bacon, bacon, bacon. <laughs> Basically, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And you make a lot of noise and you have crowds around and you just, you're testing their focus. And this is all just the, like I said, the initial screening to say, all right, little Henry the Beagle here has what it takes. Right. We think. Yeah. 
Well, that, yeah, that's just a start. Can he also learn to differentiate? That's the big one. That's the next big step, right? So right. I think there's like a one or two week like evaluation pro, um, process. They also like give uh, the dog a full like veterinary inspection. Um, I believe they spay and or neuter. Sure. I guess not and or <laughs> specifically not and or in that case. <laughs> or they, they, they spay or neuter the dog. Um, a lot of times the dogs come in, in not very good shape because they're shelter dogs. Yeah. And they probably weren't taken very good care of, um, early in their life. So they, they may need some sort of treatment or checkups or whatever. But then after that happens, the training actually starts. And the dogs are trained to scent, uh, I guess starting out from what I saw, five basic restricted scents. Yeah, this, I didn't expect these. Would you have no, picked these a, five? It's rando. You, oh, is it? No, no, it's random. Oh, I thought they, they were, I thought there were five scents. No, there are. And I'm saying that's a pretty random assemblage. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Man, you'd think after nine years together. <laughs> But I mean, if you were to, to have picked five cents, I probably would have definitely uh, picked beef, pork, and citrus. Those make sense. I guess I would have picked like monkey, bat, and <laughs> probably pig too. Yeah, but the, I mean, those are in there. So, you, well, the, the the monkey and the bat aren't, but um, beef, pork, citrus, the, mango. Yeah, that's where you threw me. What was the other one? Apple. Apple. What's wrong with apple? I didn't even know they grew apples outside of the United States. <laughs> Who's trying to smuggle an apple into the U.S.? I don't know. We got the best ones here, buddy. Just leave them at home. Yeah, I would love to know why those are the five basic scents. Um, if someone has more information that, because I could not find out. I could not either. There's a real dearth of um, of information on this stuff. I even emailed the Customs and, and uh, Border Protection today because I could not, for the life of me, find the name of that first beagle that that started out at LAX in 1984 cannot find it anywhere. Well, you're and I'm on a starting list now, to suspect buddy. that somebody forgot to write it down, <laughs> so no one knows. You you're know? being tracked now, probably. Oh yeah, I've been looking up like you know restricted items, agriculture, invasive species, stuff like that. I'm sure I'm on a list. All right, so they teach them those. Uh, well, th- this is you know toward the end is when they know those five basic scents. At first, they're just basically teaching them how to sniff through uh, bags and suitcases and boxes and making sure they can, you know, they'll throw a they'll throw a goat's head in a suitcase <laughs> and send it through right. in Noonan. And you laugh, but one of them found a goat head not too long ago. I know. So it happens. Um, and they just make sure they can do that. And they eventually, and then, of course, they have to di- differentiate. Like, there's a lot of things that are scented like those things that are just fine, like an orange perfume. <laughs> right. Well, that's another, that's a got to be kind of tough to learn for a dog too, is the difference between, you know, orange scented stuff or things that are made with like, say, orange essence, like a a, a candy or a lip balm or something like that. Yeah. And an actual orange. Because the, the lip balm, no problem. Actual orange, you got a problem. <laughs> that's right. And once they've done this, this is about a, oh, a few months, probably 10 to 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, uh, and they're being trained in regular, like how to paw at stuff and, and alert 
and uh, sitting responses. Like all, all of this is one big learning period, and the handler's getting trained as well, obviously. R- right. Uh, but at the end of this is when they they finally do graduate to those five basic scents. Um, and I guess, see, what I don't get it from the basic sense is, is it from those scents that they can smell anything? No. That's crazy. That's what I thought too. That, or that's, that's what it implies. Yeah. Like if you put together apple and pig and mango, <laughs> oh, that's good, you've actually. got like bat. You have a that's luau. Just, that's not the case. Like each thing has its own scent. Yeah. I don't know if those are like the most commonly smuggled ones possibly. Maybe. So those are the ones they need to start out with. Maybe they're the easiest ones. I don't know. But I, yeah, if you put those things together, <laughs> especially if a dog smells in layers, right, and differentiates between scents, sure. it's not going to smell the combined scent of those things. It's going to smell each thing. So I'm not sure why those are the five basic ones. Can't find out. Yeah. Well, hopefully this one was knows. a stone wall. I mean, like we're professional <laughs> researchers here and like we really ran into a, a, a wall. Yeah. Who would have known that the Beagle Brigade is what would throw us? <laughs> it would break us. Uh, so they, they've, learned all these scents. They've learned how to alert. They're getting treats. They're getting positive reinforcement along the way. Yeah, that's a big one, too. The entire training is strictly positive reinforcement. Yeah, they don't they don't beat these dogs down if they're not <laughs> smelling correctly. They have, like, they spend 10 grand a month on newspapers to roll up <laughs> to teach these dogs lessons. The puppy pounder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so once they've, <laughs> once they've gone through all of that, um, everyone knows I'm joking, right? Yeah. Okay. And if you're new to the podcast and don't just don't even bother emailing. Yeah. We're, we're great animal lovers here. Um, so once they've, they've gone through this whole training process, they finally graduate. They get their little diploma, their little hat and their little robe <laughs> and they graduate from Noonan and they get to move to the big city with their <laughs> yep. handler. Atlanta <laughs> or anywhere, any international airport, but Atlanta certainly has a large one for sure. Um, and so once they get to, their home base airport that they're going to be working at, they're still evaluated and trained for another sometimes 10 to 13 weeks. Yeah, training is kind of ongoing from what I saw, too, like the right. whole career, you know? Yeah, there's, there's, it's not like, the okay, stop learning, dog. Yeah. <laughs> you know too much. Um, but the I think the initial training period, their their basic training still can go on for another 10 to 13 weeks after they get to the airport. And even once they get to the airport, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to um, stay in the program. Again, once they're finally introduced to the chaos of an international airport, that dog might just be like, this is not for me. Send me back to Noonan. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can so, try and duplicate that chaos in Noonan, but yeah, good luck. You, you just can't. I mean, even you just can't. There's nothing like a, a busy airport. You can't recreate that. Yeah. So some dogs are fine with it. Some dogs are not. But again, one of the main reasons why they're choosing beagles is because it is so chaotic. And these dogs are their whole thing is they're not there at like a mail processing facility. They're not there at like a border crossing. They're there at a busy airport. And they're, they're meant to be able to kind of weave in and out of this, the crowd while also being non-threatening and also being lovable too. Like that's not, that's not by accident that they chose these incredibly adorable dogs. The USDA says that the Beagle Brigade is basically like a walking lovable advertisement sure. for what they're trying to do, which is protect agriculture here in the U.S. Yeah. They have a little vest that says Beagle Brigade. <laughs> yeah. And uh everyone oohs and ahs, and some people, if you're not, uh, this is probably how they do it, 
If you're not actively ooing and eyeing and you're standing there sweating heavily, (laughs) (laughs) then the dog keys in on you. So I'd be in big trouble. And I don't know if you said it or not. If you did, I didn't catch it. But the dogs are trained um, to walk up to to locate a, a contraband item and sit at oh, the bag. I, yeah, yeah. They, I thought they attacked the person first. It's called a passive indicating. Yeah. But rather than I saw in this article, it says they pawed it. The, uh, everywhere else, I saw that they just sit and and kind of look at the person like shame on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very passive-aggressive way to out somebody <laughs> for a goat's head in their suitcase. Right. Should we you take a take break? An- oh, yeah, man. You read my mind. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to do that, and we're going to finish up here with a big old brigade. Stuff you should So what happens at the end of a long day, Josh? Uh, the dog. Um, most beagles enjoy a good pipe, maybe a scotch in an easy chair. Mm-hmm. Um, Perhaps a cigar. Tip, they, sure. They tend to watch CNN, although if you watch Fox News, um, and they fall asleep a little drunk. <laughs> that's what they do every night. It's their routine, and that's what beagles like. Oh, no, that's our routine. <laughs> At our clubhouse, where we yep. live. I know. Uh, weirdly, and this kind of surprised me. I guess it's not weird now that I've seen the explanation. But I was surprised to learn that they are kenneled. I thought that they, I thought, I guess I thought they lived with their handler. Yeah, because canine police dogs live with their handlers. Yeah. I thought it was weird, too. But they're kenneled. Uh, they have a facility near the airport. Um, s- some people have asked, like, uh, can can I just keep this dog at night? And then take them to work every morning. Uh, and they say no. They said this is actually best for everyone. They need their rest. I imagine they have a good play together. Uh, I doubt if they just like drive them straight there and put them in the crate, you know. Right. It's probably a little social scene going on. I hope so. Yeah. I hope they don't like get scolded for making eye contact with the other working dogs they live with. <laughs> no, they, they put in their eight hours. They come home. They probably play a bit and then they're kenneled overnight. Yeah. Uh, and they said that they, you know, they need this rest time uh, in order to do their job successfully. And like I said, a happy dog is a dog that feels good about its work. And you said, Chuck, some people ask if they can take them home. Sure. You should specify, like, that's not the agents asking. Oh, yeah. that. That's like people at the airport. <laughs> I know. Like, can I just take them home for the night and you guys can come get them tomorrow? Or I'll even yeah. bring them back. <laughs> sure I don't only do. live like 45 minutes away. Yeah, sure. But, well, just get your, give me your cell phone number. That sounds great. So it does make sense um, that, yeah, they, they are left to just kind of rest. And I'm sure that they actually live at the airport, which is funny. It's like that movie Terminal with Tom Hanks. Uh, it says a nearby facility. You think it's actually there? I'm sure. Yeah. Um, did you know that that movie Terminal with Tom Hanks is based on a real life thing? Yeah. That, and, and the guy was like living there for a decade or something like that. And Charles de Gaulle. Yeah. Did you see that movie? No, I just read the article the movie was based on. Yeah, it's not very good, unfortunately. I got that impression. Yeah, it was a bummer. Oh, really? It doesn't end well? Well, no, it was just a bummer that it wasn't good because it oh, was I like see. Spielberg and Tom Hanks and sure. I think my hopes were high. Yep. But um, yeah, I didn't care for it. No such luck, Charles. Uh, so the Beagle Brigade is uh, its a very closely guarded secret just how many Beagles are brigading. 
So uh, they can say, though, that there are 116 CBP agricultural canine teams right. uh, with the dogs and the handlers, and that every international airport in the country has a Beagle Brigade there right, doing their job. So they can tell you a lot. Yeah, I mean, you want to tell some stories here? Yes. Yeah, so there was this one uh, dog called Murray. Murray. Was, Murray was, um, he was at a shelter in North Georgia. And apparently some dummies decided they wanted a, a hunting dog and didn't want to spend any money. But they wanted a dock tail and ears and everything. So they tried it themselves. And it didn't go very well for poor Murray. So they dropped him off at a shelter, probably knowing knowing the state. They probably dropped him off on a dirt road and somebody else found him and took him to a shelter. And Murray was rescued by a group called Alcovy Pet Rescue. And I guess Alcovy has a, a direct pipeline to the uh, Beagle Brigade handlers at uh, down in Noonan. said, hey, we think we got one for you. This guy is so food-driven, it's crazy. It's got a lot of love. He just needs a little bit of attention. He's missing part of his ear, but we can get past that. And uh, at age two or three... He became uh, a an agent for the USDA at Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport. That's great. The only way that story could have ended better is if those original people had part of their ear cut off. Yeah. By a dog. Yeah. What about Jasper? So Jasper, he worked at JFK, I think. Yeah, he. This was uh, late last year. Jasper retired after an eight-year career. And uh, during this career, Jasper seized over 17,000 items. <laughs> um, the goat's head was Jasper, like I uh, mentioned. Yeah, whale meat. Yeah, whale meat, rhinoceros skin. A cooked bat. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Um, Anything else crazy like that? No, not that I saw. And a lot of Romanian cotton weevils. Right. Um and the his handler Amanda Tipple or Triple is it Tipple or Triple Triple, she said that um, she was interviewed with Modern Farmer magazine, which I didn't realize existed until last week. <laughs> um, and now you have a subscription. Yeah, uh, they did an interview with her, and she was saying that um, the the that he could very easily work longer. Sure, but that the mandatory age of retirement is eight because they want the dogs to have some years of just chilling out. Uh, not having to work, um, and that she's going to take him home. She's adopting him, or That's she great. did adopt him. I think the article was from last year, and he was on the verge of retirement when they interviewed him. But um, he went, and apparently this is fairly normal, went from something like 15 to 30 hits, 20 to 30 hits a day. Wow. But decli- had declined to about 10 to 15. Oh. Yeah, everybody was very disappointed in him. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a good retirement age if they're eight, like, barring some uh, very sad health concern, uh, you know, a dog that size can live to be, you know, 13, 14 years old. Right, sure. They still have many years ahead of them, hopefully. Yeah. In retirement. Yeah, and once she she takes them home, you know, she gets another dog that she's right. going to partner with. So I wonder how that'll go over, you know? Will, will Jasper be like... I know where you've been today, and I I just want to tell you again, I'm not happy with this. <laughs> well, I bet Jasper uh, 
I bet Jasper and, and all retired dogs have to deal with that transition, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, I imagine there's something the handlers have to do with them on a daily basis. Like, you know, probably a lot of long walks. I imagine the dog isn't just like, all right, and now I'm going to rest. Right. You know, like they're used yeah. to that activity. Well, yeah. Yeah. I was wondering that as well. I wondered too if they, they get them when they're young. So they're super hyper. And then maybe by the time they're eight, they've mellowed a little bit. Sure. At least comparatively speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I think a mellow beagle is still pretty hyper compared to a normal dog. Yeah. I've never been around beagles actually. Oh, they, they, they'll pull. Yeah. Yeah, and they they bay and everything. They're super cute, but they they can be rambunctious for sure. Yeah, I've never I've never known anyone with a beagle, so yeah. I, I don't even know if I've ever touched a beagle. Okay. <laughs> now that I think about it, no. But if you've been touched by a beagle, well, I have. You'll this. never forget it, Chuck. Uh, a couple of stats for you: Last year alone, in 2016, the brigade inspected 23 million passengers, uh, 741,000 pieces of freight. And they alerted total in the United States uh, to more than 1.77 million seizures of illegal materials. That's a lot. That's about, what, like 7 8% of people bringing stuff in that have been uh, caught. Yeah. And I saw also that there's, a, um, there's an even more specialized group of dogs that are typically Jack Russell Terriers that work on Guam to root out specifically brown tree snakes. Yeah, that's crazy. Which are an invasive species that got introduced to Guam and have killed off like a lot of indigenous bird species. And they're basically trying to protect Hawaii as much as they can. I didn't know Hawaii didn't have snakes until this article. Yeah, it's like Ireland over there. Yeah, I mean, it made sense, of course, but I just figured, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, invasive species, so I just thought that, I just figured snakes would be one of them. Yeah, no, Hawaii takes their, their, like, the agriculture defense very seriously. Yeah, it's a felony. The snake thing is. Yeah, well, they'll just beat you up before they even take you to jail. <laughs> they catch you. Well, I read an article because I was like, "What is that real?" And which is, uh, I guess, of great comfort to to backcountry exploring and explorers um, if you're scared of snakes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I read an article, and there was there there were a couple of them found last year that you know people had managed to sneak in. And one was a boa constrictor that was dead in the road, like five feet long. And the guy oh, man. Uh, saw it and said, like, there's a snake. And everyone in the car was like, there are no snakes in Hawaii. <laughs> They're like, no, that's a snake. He's like, oh, I'm just a total idiot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are legs under there. Just a big lizard. I hate you guys. Um, yeah, that was that was news to me. So very yeah. interesting. Supposedly, the Everglades down in Florida have a huge problem with... Um, Burmese pythons and oh, yeah. like a couple of different kinds of pythons that and all of them were pets. And now they're just taking over and getting to be like 20 feet long or just crazy yeah. eating wild boars and things like that. Because idiots get them and then they grow and they say this snake is too big. Yeah. And they just put it out in the swamp. I just wanted a puppy snake. <laughs> uh, so here's a good example, too. Like, you know. It's easy to, like, the goat head and the cooked pig gets a lot of attention. Uh, but usually this stuff is, it's not nefarious, you know. It's like this this one lady uh, in February of this year, actually, there was a uh, beagle named Gadget that seized, and this is just one seizure from one person, mm-hmm. uh, a, a potted tamarind plant, uh, two live trees, 42 packages of seeds, 
20 pieces of palm tree plantings, chicory seed, rice, millet, and fresh garlic. And a note from God. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of stuff, but this is what happens. Like someone goes to another country and they want to bring back like seeds to plant something. It's not like they're awful people, but it, it can, they can innocently wreak havoc on agriculture here by doing so, you know? Right. So the, the process from what I gather is that you declare anything you have on you. Um, and then if, the, if they can let you bring it through, then they'll let you bring it through. But if not, they'll just take it and be like, sorry, we got to take this. Then they'll shoot it in front of you. <laughs> um, if you don't declare it and they catch you with it, thanks to the Beagle Brigade, um, you can be fined up to something like a thousand dollars for your first offense. And if it's clear you're like a straight up smuggler, yeah, you will probably go to jail. Well, this person did declare that had all that stuff, uh, chocolate and an apple. So right. I guess she thought maybe if I declare something, I won't be as suspicious. I don't know. Right. But I mean, if you're a CBP agent, um, and you're looking at that and you have the discretion of whether to arrest that person or not, you, you may very well be like, no, you're, you were definitely trying to smuggle this stuff. So you're, I'm going to, I'm going to make an example out of you, lady. Yeah. And then gadgets just sitting there. Just like judging. What have I done? <laughs> yeah. And the lady, as they're hauling her off to jail, she's like, I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for you meddling dogs. Uh, you got anything else? I do. I have one more thing. I ran across this article. I think it was on Quartz. And it said, like, bush meat, illegal bush meat could be the cause of the next big global pandemic. Oh, wow. There's apparently a major market for bush meat, which is any wild animal meat. Most people think of it as, like, monkey Gross. or bat or something like that. But it, it also is, like, elk or caribou, any illegal meat. That's basically just being smuggled around. Yeah. Um, there's huge markets for it in New York, in, uh, London, in mainland Europe. Um, and th- people just smuggle it in and a lot of them make it through. And these things just get sold behind the counter at butcher shops in some cities. And all it's going to take is one of those things to have Ebola and uh maybe a mutant strain that that is transmitted a little more easily than Ebola light or whatever we have now right and uh you got a pandemic on your hands man and we can say thanks a lot i hope you really enjoyed that monkey leg that killed off three quarters <laughs> of the population of humanity gross just That's push me those two words i don't like it <laughs> i know i know it's pretty rough uh, so I guess you're done then too, huh? I'm done, sir. Okay. Well, if you guys want to know more about bushmeat or <laughs> the Beagle Brigade or anything like that, type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this one sad yet happy email. Uh, hey guys, my name is Sam. I wanted to send you an email thanking you for your show. Uh, the podcast is actually a rediscovery for me. My dad used to play it uh, back in 2009 when we would drive up to the mountain to go skiing. A very fond memories of laughing and nerding out with my dad and brothers after a great day on the slopes. Can't believe you guys are still going strong after eight plus years. There is a little more to my rediscovery of your show, though, that I wanted to share. It's been four and a half years since one of my brothers, who is an amazing skier, uh, died tragically to suicide. Uh, since I was in college at the time, I didn't have enough time to properly grieve. Uh, recently, I've been mulling through many painful memories 
that I ignored in those first three years. However, your show unexpectedly brought back really happy ones. Uh, it has reminded me of the fun adventure and learning our family enjoyed while listening to your show when we were skiing. I remember laughing hysterically with my family at your jokes, rolling my eyes when my brothers and dad would try to comment on your show to sound smart because it was so creepy. One of your favorite episodes uh, of ours was the one on cannibalism. Uh, being a high schooler at the time, I also really liked the show on flirting, so I thought I could put it into practice. Hmm. Needless to say, it didn't really work. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> this month, I went home for a week to visit my parents, and I went skiing with my mom and dad for the first time since my brother died. It was very painful, but also unimaginably special. Uh, when my family and I are on the mountain, I feel like I can encounter my brother as he was when he was healthy and full of life. I could picture him diving down a slope that was way too steep with the most enormous grin on his eager face. All in all, it was a great day. So I just want to say thank you for the hard work and providing interesting topics to fill my time, making me laugh, but also inadvertently helping me cherish a special time in my life. Man, that was heavy. That is from Sam, and she sends hugs. Sam, that is fantastic. Very thank nice. you very much for letting us know. We appreciate that. Uh, and uh, our best to your whole family. Absolutely. If you want to get in touch with us like Sam did, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with me at Josh Home Clark on Twitter. Uh, you can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. You can also see us at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 